chapter for this segment. And this is going to be chapter 20, the nursing care of patients with HIV, AIDS, uh, HIV disease and AIDS. Um, so AIDS is the late phase of chronic immune function disorder, and it can be caused by HIV. So HIV leads to AIDS. Um, developing after a long period of untreated HIV infection, and it can be fatal. Most with HIV who receive treatment do not develop AIDS. Um, so the goal is to not get to AIDS. Um, antiretroviral medications suppress the HIV replication, and we're going to get into that a little bit more, and it improves the immune function and reduces the risk of life-threatening opportunistic infections. Um, so we first see ARV in 1987, HAART in 1996, and this is a combination of at least three ARV drugs, and that's antiretroviral. And then we see um, that the HIV epidemic was in 1981. Um, so the pathology behind this is that HIV kills immune cells. So what are we going to do without our immune cells? We cannot fight infections as well. Um, AIDS is the final phase, and this is what... Um, we're trying to avoid and normally when AIDS comes about, um, the last thing that, um, that the patient's probably going to contract would be pneumonia. That's usually what takes them out. Um, so there's two strains of HIV, HIV one, which is found around the world and it's more pathogenic. And then we have HIV two, which is found mainly in like a small area in West Africa and it's less, path less pathogenic. So we know that retrovirus only has RNA for genetic material and is attracted to immune cells with surface attaching sites, so a CD4 receptor. Cells with CD4 receptors include lymphocytes and macrophages that are found in the brain. So your lymphocytes are going to be TD4, TD4+, T4, and helper T. I'm not sure that she wants us to know all those, but they are there. Um, yeah, she didn't have those on here. Okay, um, so these hide in latent reservoirs for infection flare-ups, which prevents a cure. So because we can't get to it, we can't find a cure for it. Um, so latent meaning that it can be, when I think of latent, I usually think of tuberculosis. It's going, it can hide away and it won't come out for a while. So a lot of the times you won't see um, HIV for like 8 to 12 years. Like sometimes it will be dormant for that long, dormant and latent mean the same thing. So, um, CD4T lymphocytes are the main targets of HIV and coordinate all immune functions. So, destruction of these by HIV results in a progressive impairment of the body's immune response. So, it's just steadily attacking, steadily attacking. Um, it can be latent for many years and there's no cure. And it can be de undetectable in blood because it's latent. So, but it can be controlled by lifelong antiviral treatments. Um, so, after a person's been infected... Other immune system components form antibodies to fight the HIV, and these typically become present within three months after infection. Um, the time between infection and developing antibodies is called a window period, so from like the first second that you get it to like three months after is your window period, and testing for antibodies can be done um, to diagnose HIV. So progression of it um, is followed, initial infection is followed by a relatively symptom-free period that is called the clinical latency stage. Um, it remains in lymph nodes, liver, spleen, and reproduces consistently. Um, if untreated, CD4T lymphocytes gradually decrease and B lymphocytes become dysfunctional and dysregulated. A period of infection in the beginning of the system, systematic stage varies and averages 8 to 12 years. Person considered to be HIV infected. You just don't see it. So the prevention is going to be education and prevention. These are the best way to manage HIV AIDS epidemic because people just don't know. Um, a lot of the times you're not going to see something 
as you would, you know, with, um, you know, an STD. When people think AIDS, they usually think sex, but it really has to do with blood most of the time. Um, so gerontological issues is 17% of all persons living with HIV are actually 50% or older. Um, why? Because we see of the time period that this started. So often um, diagnosed with HIV infection when AIDS is already present because it's been within them for so long and this was just not a thing back then. Um, so we need to ask them about their sexual and drug use history um, and teach preventive measures. So we need to share information on products to reduce the transmission. Um, At-risk adults over age 50 are less likely than younger to use condoms during sex because they think of condoms as only a birth control measure. They don't realize that this is also to protect from STDs and STIs. Um, erectile dysfunction treatments have contributed to more older adults being sexually active because now we're getting up and we're going out. So they might have more multiple partners. Um, contracting HIV through same-sex contact as well. Um, decline in older adults' immune system increases risk for infection with HIV. Increased vaginal dryness and friability further increase a woman, older woman's susceptibility to HIV infection because we're looking at how it's entering. Um, if you have an open in your skin, a break in your skin, more likely to get in. Um, a rise in HIV infection among older adults is expected to continue due to a lack of preventive knowledge because they just don't know. How are we reaching out to them? How many older people are actually on social media? How many older people do you know? of that get into, you know, support groups and stuff. Most of the time they just stay at home, they mind their business, they do their thing. Um, and they're not learning anything like you and I are being in nursing school and who's teaching them, you know. And if you're not, if you don't realize that there's a problem, then how would you know to reach out? So symptoms of HIV in older adults can be confused with commonly perceived problems of aging. So fatigue, decreased endurance, alternative, uh, altered cognitive status and brain effects can be mistaken for Alzheimer's disease. So a lot of times people just think they're getting older and they don't realize that there's signs and symptoms of HIV. And we're going to look at our mode of transmission. And we do need to know this. It's a fragile virus and it only spreads through certain body fluids. So we're going to say that HIV is really picky. It's going to go through blood. We don't want to get a needle stick. Semen, that's a body fluid. Pre-seminal fluid, body fluid, vaginal secretion, body fluid, rectal fluid, body fluid, breast milk, body fluid, body fluid, blood fluid, body fluid, it's coming from your body. You need a portal of entry into the body for this to happen. So a tear mucous membrane or non-intact skin, direct injection into the bloodstream via needle, so sharing needles and drug use. And then um, since 1985, we've been um, testing donated blood because we don't, there has been instances, you know, we didn't know. We're giving blood to people without having tested it for this, and we don't realize that we've just transmitted um, HIV to someone. So we also have a pre-exposure pro prophylaxis, so your PrEP, um, with an ARV, and this is an effective way to prevent HIV transmission for those who are at high risk of contracting the virus. Then we have like Truvada, and it can be taken once daily consistency, and these are your uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis, which we know is pre-before. Then we can look into counseling. So routine testing for those ages 15 to 65, pregnant females or those who have been sexually assaulted because you don't know that person, um, needs to be done. So we want to keep this confidential and we have to have permission to release these results. You can also have post-testing counseling once somebody finds out that they have it, um, informing them you need, to, you need to let your sexual partner know if you have this. I actually do believe that it is against the law in some states. If you don't, it can be considered um, manslaughter. We want to teach them to not share needles, um, drugs, 
we want to reduce the risk factors and provide care options. So we, ha we should also understand that if we have a patient that's entered into the hospital, they are not required to tell us that they have HIV or AIDS. So assuming that everyone would have it, you want to avoid needle sticks and things like that. That's why we teach safety as far as that goes. So for sexual transmission, um, it can be transmitted through sexual contact with infected body fluids and mucous membranes. So vaginal and anal sex have the highest rates of transmission in both males and females, and anal sex is the highest. So this results in a tearing of a mucous membrane. Um, I think there's a stigma around the HIV AIDS pandemic that it, you know, it came from the gays and that actually has nothing to do with it, but it is more prevalent to be spread that way because of the way that our mucous membranes are built and how easily that they can be torn, um, even though we don't realize that they are. And so females have a greater risk for becoming infected. Um, the vagina has a greater area of mucous membranes than the penis. So we're looking at, again, um, an inside area. So the vagina and your anus all have a specific type of mucous membrane that's going to be affected differently. Um, the greater amount of HIV is found in semen. So the safe sex practices abstaining from sex is the only 100% way to prevent it. Because if you ain't going near nobody else's part, you're not going to catch it. It's not going to jump off onto you. Um, Long-term mutually monogamous sexual relationship is considered the safest when both partners are known to be HIV negative. So you better hope that you can trust your partner. Limiting sexual partners, um, wearing latex gloves to protect hands during genital or anal contact, meaning us, we're taking care of people, we need to make sure we have our gloves on, using latex condoms and dental dams, or latex sheets correctly and regularly as a barrier for the mouth um, and genitals or anus. Um, then we have uh, parenteral transmission. So the best way to prevent is to avoid or stop injecting drugs. So alcohol swabs should be used to clean injection site. Never share or reuse them. They have a syringe. I have heartburn, I'm sorry. Syringe exchange program availability, um, but that varies by location. And they have been shown to decrease the risk of transmission in other bloodborne pathogens. Um, some places don't do this, but some places do, where you can go and turn in your dirty needles and they'll give you clean ones, which has also become an ethic issue as well because people feel like it is um, that we're condoning drug use, but. I mean, the latter of it would be another AIDS pandemic, so pick your poison. Um, programs are have shown to decrease the risk of transmission because of this. Um, if injection equipment is reused, it should be boiled or cleansed with bleach. An autologous transfusion is the safest, safest type of blood transfusion. Why? Because you're getting it from yourself. Um, perinatal transmission. So, testing should be offered during... Um, prenatal care routinely for all pregnant women and again in the third trimester for women at high risk. All pregnant women who are HIV positive can reduce the risk of parenteral or perinatal HIV transmission with ART during pregnancy, labor, and delivery. So the time of labor, pregnant women who have not been tested for HIV should be offered a rapid HIV test. Um, so condoms should be new for each act, made of latex, which is highly effective because other materials have large pores and allow HIV to HIV to pass. They should be undamaged and check the expiration date applied before the partner is touched. Use adequate amounts of water soluble lubricant. Replace them if they're broken and when you start to pull away you want to hold the condom against the base um, to avoid leakage. So healthcare providers and HIV pre prevention. This is us. 
Occupational HIV transmission is rare, but we want to use standard precautions as we would with anyone. Appropriate hand hygiene and safety devices to prevent natal sticks. Um, know the occupational exposure protocol if, so, if you were to get stuck. Wash the exposure site with soap and water immediately, and for mucous membrane exposures, flush with water. Um, but we don't want to make our patients feel like they're gross. We don't want to make our patients feel like we, you know, aren't supportive or that we aren't going to give them the same quality care that we would anyone else because they're human just like you. And a lot of the times people, all the time, no one asked for that. Um, I can guarantee that. So the signs and symptoms, um, your asymptomatic symptoms are going to be extreme fatigue, headache, fever, um, lymphadenopathy, which is your large lymph nodes, um, sore throat, diarrhea, and then your symptomatic is going to be shortness of breath, fever, weight loss, fatigue, night sweats, persistent diarrhea, oral or vaginal um, candidiasis ulcers, candidiasis ulcers, dry skin, skin lesions, peripheral neuropathy, shingles, seizures, dementia, and in the final stage of HIV infection, age is diagnosed when the TED4 lymphocyte count is below 200 or opportunistic infections and diseases occur. So complications from HIV and AIDS vary from patient to patient, but with ART, fewer complications are seen, um, and we usually don't see Kaposi sarcoma anymore. So we um, have waste, AIDS wasting syndrome. So AIDS wasting syndrome is defined by involuntary loss of more than 10% of baseline body weight plus chronic weakness or fever or chronic diarrhea for more than 30 days. Um, your factors are going to be decreased appetite, oral lesions, altered metabolism, malabsorption, GI infections, diarrhea, medication side effects, cognitive impairment. And we want to teach them to maintain a body weight because it's more likely that you can fight off things if your body is healthy. Um, HIV-associated neurocognitive disorders. So HIV infection in the brain or other parts of the central nervous system um, results in varying CNS conditions. So you can see neurocognitive impairment memory impairment, personality changes, hallucinations, leg weakness, loss of balance, lower responses. Um, we know that there's a list of opportunistic infections. Um, so with an impaired immune system, cancer incidence rises because the abnormal cancer cells are not being destroyed. Um, opportunistic infections that cannot be fought would be viral bacteria, mycobacterial, fungal, protozoa, parasitic, pretty much all of them. So we see... Um, Candidia albicans is a fungus normally found in the GI tract, and um, with AIDS, it, it overgrows. So we're going to see it maybe in the mouth or esophagus, um, so we know what th it's like thrush. Then we see cytomegalovirus. It can be uh, cause retinitis and result in blindness. Mycobacterium avium complex. Um, let's see. It's a serious non-tuberculous mycobacterial infection. Um, pneumocystitis pneumonia um, it develops slowly and produces shortness of breath fever and dry cough we're going to use oxygen to treat that and then we, it can also um, TB can also be one of bacterial infection caused by mycobacterium tuberculosis so for diagnosis we're going to do screening from 15 to 65 years old at least once um, a finger stick or oral fluid can be done um, a urine test can also be tested, but it's slightly less accurate. And then you usually get a result in less than 20 minutes for the rapid test. Um, there can be home sample collection devices. You can mail it into a laboratory, and then they'll call you anonymous, anonymously with your results and counseling and referral if needed. 
um, early detection tests are available. You have an antigen antibody combination fourth generation immunosa that detects both HIV-1 and HIV-2. Um, a CBC could also be indicative, so patients with HIV are susceptible to leukopenia, lymphopenia, anemia, thrombocytopenia, and this is due to HIV infection as a complication of ART, so a CBC with a lymphocyte count should be obtained because of the lower white blood cell count that you have, it's going to be indicative that there's an infection, and this could lead to us figuring out what's going on. So CD4T lymphocyte count is essential for initial evaluation of the status of the immune system and the need for antiretroviral therapy. Um, so in people with HIV, the CD4 levels are going to drop um, after ART has begun. It's going to increase between 50 and 150 cells per year, and then it's going to follow by an increase of 50 to 100 uh, cells until stabilization occurs. So what this is going to do is kind of suppress it so that it doesn't turn into AIDS. Um, then you have your viral load testing, and this measures the amount of HIV RNA in plasma. And it shows the risk of disease progressing without treatment, the risk of opportunistic infection, infections in response to ART. So this is going to tell you how it's progressing. Um, then we can do genotyping, and this measures the resistance to currently available ARV treatments. Um, Guidelines in choosing treatment will be the most effective against a person's virus. We have standard serological testing for syphilis, um, hep A, B, and C serologies, and then we have co-infections that influence the course of either a patient's HIV or co-infection. So therapeutic measures um, will be your antiviral therapy, antiretroviral therapy, I'm sorry. Um, and then we all, most, more than anything that we want to prevent it. We want to prevent this from happening through... Um, teaching. So the nursing process is we're going to be wash our hands, standard precaution, inform them of how to avoid transmission, monitor and report signs of infection, sepsis, temperature changes and mental status, promote skin integrity. We want to keep their skin intact because it's easier to spread it that way. Um, establish and maintain an open and trusting relationship. Don't make them feel small. Um, express, encourage them to express their feelings. You want them to be able to talk to you and you want to be able to help your patient, um, to open up and explain, you know, how they're feeling because this is a lifetime thing. Like, this doesn't go away and some people have a hard time dealing with that. So you're going to identify potential hazards, um, and help to eliminate or modify them. You're going to instruct them on avoid, avoiding hazards. Um, let's see. We need to know what ineffective, um, ineffective protection would be. So we want to make sure these patients stay away from other people that are sick because they easily get sick. So we don't want to put them around somebody because they're immunocompromised. We want to make sure that we address deficit knowledge because why prevention is key. We want to give medications as prescribed, encourage them to take them exactly as instructed. Do not miss a dose. Use memory aids if you have to. Teach that if a dose is missed, it should it should be taken as soon as possible unless it's close to the next time. Don't double them up. Um, medications can cause severe reactions, so you need to look for those. Um, your patient could have impaired gas exchange because PCP is a potential respiratory infection that occurs in AIDS. Um, your patient could have diarrhea. That's a large side effect. Fatigue. We want to teach them water and food safety to ensure um, that they don't get diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, abdominal cramps, headache, fever. 
We want to make sure that they're eating properly, um, getting adequate exercise to promote relaxation, aid in sleep, and give them a sense of control and well-being. We want to make sure that they don't have an impaired oral mucous membrane. Um, we don't want them to have thrush. We want to tell them to stop smoking. We can give them antifungal medications. Make sure they're using a soft toothbrush so they're not killing their gum line. We want to treat their pain. Um, treatment is usually focused on the cause to achieve pain control and relief. We want to make sure that we avoid impaired skin integrity. We need to assess the risk for situational low self-esteem. Like I said, this doesn't go away. You want to be emotionally in, um, supportive in this. You want to make sure that they're not being socially isolated. Um, we don't want people to think that this just spreads from being near someone. The, the education is prevention. So we need to make sure that people understand what the causes of um, spreading this are. We need to give them access to resources, um, community and in-home health care. And then for home health hints, we want to use hand hygiene, standard precautions. Observe the caregiver's first uh, caregiver role strain because people get burnt out, you know. Teach the family of a patient with AIDS the signs and symptoms to report health care provider. Um, report it to the health care provider or nurse immediately. So fever, increased dyspnea, pain, change in sputum production, upper respiratory tract infection, pneumonia, diarrhea five times a day for more than five days, uncontrolled weight loss greater than 10 pounds in the last month, persistent headache, falling, seizures, mental change status, memory loss and personality changes, rashes and skin changes, difficulty swallowing, problem with urination. Teach their families how to properly clean and disinfect. Um, so you can mix uh, bleach and water specifically. Um, you're going to flush body fluids, solid body waste, and contaminated solutions down toilet. You can disinfect all spill areas, clean toilet seats and bathroom fixtures, clean inside of the refrigerator to avoid mold growth. Um, wash their stuff separately if it's drenched in blood, feces, or urine, or semen. Um, wash dishes and silver in hot, soapy water. Dispose of sharps. If you don't have a red biohazard container, use a rigid label container, such as a tin can with a sealable lid. Um, add ten, 1 to 10 bleach solution to disinfect the sharps. Tape the lid, place in a bag, and dispose in the trash. Because we also have garbage men, we don't want them getting stuck with anything. So you're going to dispose of contaminated articles by sealing them in a plastic bag and placing them in the trash. Um, we want to make sure that our patients are eating and maintaining a base, baseline weight, uh, body weight. Um, offer small frequent feedings, serve food cold or at room temperature, use a variety of seasonings, add powdered milk to mashed potatoes or puddings to increase calorie and protein intake, modify texture to accommodate chewing difficulties because of oral lesions, and then we can also do like boost or ensure. And that is chapter 20.